James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here. If you would like to take part, Avery is standing by to take your calls. 800-848-9222. 800-848-WABC. The gang is all here. Avery's here. Diego's here. Scott is here. We don't know whether Derek's awake yet. <laughs> we'll find out momentarily. <laughs> oh, there was so much news last night. Okay, the video. The video's out. Here's what I don't understand. I understand, and I understand, I don't, I never understand the riots that go violent, right? I don't, I don't get that. Well, I shouldn't say I don't understand. I, I don't agree with it, but I understand in some cases how a riot could get violent. Last night, you had these little, these, these kids Stomp this one kid stomping on a police car here in Times Square. He was taken into custody. And there was violence, and then you hear people like this guy Newsom um with uh, Black Lives Matter Hawk Newsom saying that violence isn't off the table. Black Lives Matter did show up, by the way, which is stunning. They actually showed up. When it's not white cops that are accused of killing somebody. So you had this 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 mini little riot there turned violent in New York. And this is what I don't understand. The country is pretty much unified about this. There's not a soul that I have read. Now, now there's some some squabbling. Van Jones has sparked some outcry in certain quarters to his remarks that this is also caused by racism, that black cops could be racist against other blacks. And one thing about Van Jones, now you may not agree with Van Jones. I have certainly not agreed with Van Jones, but I don't think there's anybody that can say that Van Jones is not an intellectually honest human being. He will tell you what he thinks, and he supports his thinking thoroughly with a reasoned argument, whether you agree with the reasons or not. And again, look, I know Van Jones is lefty left, 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 but on occasion he will even infuriate the lefty left, 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 left because he's so intellectually honest about the way he sees things. Now, there is nobody in this country that I have heard of that said what happened here with Tyree Nichols is a good thing. There is universal, even for goodness sakes, even the, um, what is the name of that? Fraternal Order of Police came out and said there's nothing justifiable here. This is criminality. You have not, I have not seen or heard of one person in this country 
that has paid attention to this video, that has seen it, that says this is acceptable behavior. So I don't understand then why rioters are engaging in any kind of violence whatsoever. There is universal condemnation over this. His stepfather, by the way, wants the EMTs charged as well. They stood around 20 minutes when he's lying on the ground. Look, this guy took a horrible beat down. And you heard Danny at the top of the hour news. Danny had the clip of one of the officers saying, um, stomp him because he ran away. What is still undisputed, or what is still in, rather, dispute, is why he was stopped in the first place. Initially, we were told it was reckless driving. Uh, In the New York Times article this morning, they point out that that hasn't been substantiated yet. I want to talk to Derek in a few minutes about this whole incident, but I also want to talk about uh, the the, uh, election yesterday of the RNC chair, whether it's going to make a substantive difference or not. I support, and I still support, Harmeet Dillon. I think she's the future of the party. Rona McDaniel succeeded. And one of the quotes that came from one of those voting is, we don't care about the small donors. They don't get a vote in this. Ron DeSantis wants to get rid of the unanimous vote on a death sentence. And he also wants to have child sex offenders eligible for execution. Interesting that. There's big noise on social media over Donald Trump's calling out Jessica Tarlov, the uh, the uh, Democrat. They says her voice is unendurable. She does have a rough. I mean, it's it's tough to listen to her. Um, there's a story about Twitter executives internally trashing the Russian bot theory used to target conservatives. Now, there's a lot to this story that has not been uncovered yet, and I hope it will be uncovered. There's also, I have a stack of education news. In Rhode Island, an assistant principal sent out a letter asking the school staff to pony up money to help pay off a coyote that had smuggled in an illegal immigrant. Yeah, that happened. In Iowa, there's a revolt over another woke school district. In Manatee County, Florida, teachers have decided to uh, temporarily close down the libraries while they, while they scour through the books to make sure that nothing is violating the woke laws there, which I just love this. UC California, you know, there was a big strike out there, and the unions won it. And now everybody's scrambling around in the UC uh, you see, college, you know, district out there, not district, it's, it's higher education in the system to try to figure out how to pay for all this. They don't have the money to pay for what they just signed for. Mm, typical. 
There's an amazing story in the L.A. Times today about what's going on in Orange County, California, which used to be a Republican stronghold. And apparently conservatives have narrowly taken over the school board there, and they are having fits. And lo and behold, I'm reading the article, and all of a sudden I see these references to frontline doctors uh, being the uh, source of disinformation and all of a mask. And so, yeah, we'll get to that story a little bit later. Such, such garbage. Representative Rogers from Michigan is warning that we better fix the FBI now that it's in crisis. And it will be destroyed if Biden won't fix it. I got news for you. The FBI has already been destroyed as a credible organization for law enforcement, at least in my eyes. In fact, they've never, they haven't been credible. So all of that on the table and more. Here's the story headline from the, uh, from the Los Angeles Times. Firing of an Orange County school superintendent sets the stage for a conservative agenda. And oh boy, are they having a cow about that. Later in the in the show, Cheryl Chumley will join us. She wrote a column on these never-ending shots that the government is proposing that you have to take. We'll hear from Rhonda. America's small caffeinated mom. I did a story yesterday, Texas uh, University, a Texas Christian university. The professor of biology is too afraid or won't define the biological definition of a woman. And and Rhonda reacted to me on that with uh, text. And so I asked her if she will expand on her thoughts on that today. So I can't wait to see what she's come up with and what she thinks about that. It's amazing. A Texas Christian University, Texas, Texas, Tejas. Professor of biology, apparently too afraid to define what a biological woman is. These are the times we're living in. Anyway, 800-848-WABC. And whatever else you want to talk about is fair game, by the way. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Happy Saturday. Grab a cup of coffee. Let's bother Derek. And, and we'll be back in a moment. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. It is Saturday morning. Welcome to the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza here on WABC, Crown Jewel of American Radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bush Nerdly, with you. 800-848-WABC is the number to call at any point during the program. The police bring us in. Stuart Copeland on drums, of course, Sting. On base, voices inside my head. Hey, Diego, are you are you familiar with this song? 
We can't hear you. Yes, turn. Honestly, turn the before mic working on. here, I did not. Uh, I did not hear it. We have to let this one. You have to let this play out when we stop it and get to the end, so you can actually hear the end of this song and hear Stuart play. Oh, okay. In fact, so let's let's do that when we go out of the. Yeah, let's play the rest of it. All right, sounds good. Voices inside my head. As I mentioned to you earlier, Tyree Nichols. You, oh, Derek will be with us soon. Derek was out protesting last night, I think. Because um, he is either that or he was taking part in the big, you know, Washington, D.C. area beltway. You know, it was a it was a big night out in California for the RNC. Maybe they were having celebrations inside the beltway. Because, you know, Derek is connected like that. He knows all the players. So maybe he was out partying last night or whatever, but he's just now stumbling out of bed. So we're going to give him a few minutes to have some coffee, and then we're going to call Derek. And get his take. Maybe, he was, maybe he was protesting. I don't know. Okay, Van Jones, as I said earlier, there's a lot of backlash in fact, there is a Fox story about Van Jones. Van Jones slammed for op-ed claiming cops who killed Tyree Nichols could have been driven by racism. Jones, one of CNN's star liberal commentators, wrote Friday that black people are not immune, are not immune to the effects of anti-black racism and that the narratives of police violence should never be as simple as white cop kills unarmed black man. Well, I agree with that, but I don't know whether I agree with that in the same way that Van Jones does. Society's message that black people are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive, he writes. Okay, can we change that, Van? I, I printed out, after I looked at the story, I said, okay, I got to go see his his editorial info, his op-ed. And I'll tell you what, he has some interesting points in his op-ed. He began by talking about what had happened to Rodney King. And what happened to Rodney King, he says, was horrifying, but at least he survived the ordeal. Tyree Nichols tragically did not survive his, the 20... Nine-year-old black man died early this month after a police traffic stop, violent arrest in Memphis, Tennessee. According to preliminary results of an autopsy commission by attorneys for the Nichols family, he suffered extensive bleeding caused by a severe beating. Still like a nightmare. You know, it's horrifying hearing a guy call from his, for his mom as his life is being stomped out of him. By all accounts, Nichols was a good guy, 145 skateboarder, Instagram photographer, Starbucks aficionado. Learning that your child's life was senselessly stolen from him is every black parent's nightmare. Really? Hmm. Really, Van? Because it seems to me 
that in Chicago, in New York, in Detroit, Atlanta, and other cities, it's kind of commonplace. And I don't hear, I don't hear all this attention every week when black lives are being snuffed out by the dozens. But that aside, how do we explain Nichols' horrific killing allegedly at the hands of police who look like him? He says black people are not immune to anti-black messages. One of the sad facts about anti-black racism is that black people ourselves are not immune to its pernicious effects. Society's message that black people are inferior, that is not society's message, my friend. That is the message of you Democrats, Van. Society's message that blacks are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive. Over many decades, numerous experiments have shown these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white. Self-hatred is a real thing, he says. Black cops are often socialized in police departments that view certain neighborhoods as war zones. Hey, Van, that's because they are freaking war zones. What is this, a fairy tale? In those departments, few officers get disciplined for dishing out street justice. Do we really know that to be a fact, or is that just supposition, man? And I, and I say that as an honest question. In certain precincts populated by black, brown, or low-income people, where there is a tacit understanding that the rule book simply doesn't apply. Again, do we know that as a fact, or is that just Van's opinion hey derek thank you for joining us happy saturday happy saturday james i'm always glad to be uh, accused of being out protesting or part of the establishment and running around and celebrating mike lindell's four votes for our <laughs> <laughs> i was actually up i woke oh, up oh man that's so cold derek and... that is cold-blooded <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I woke up at six thirty, and I was like, "Well, I should probably." And then I thought, "Well, I've got time." And then next thing I know, it's quarter after, and my my Apple Watch is vibrating, and I'm like, "Oh crap!" Fell back asleep. So you weren't out protesting last night, and you weren't hanging out. There weren't any big parties because the RNC reinstalled um, uh, Rona. Coronavirus as the chairman. Derek, do you no, think I... before we before we get to this stuff? Because I want to get your take on this on on Van Jones and or, did you like Van Jones? I've met Van Jones uh, once. He was very nice, and sometimes he says things that are sane and rational. But in general, no. It's like. It's like being beaten up every day by somebody, and then one day they don't beat you up or they don't try to push you down a flight of stairs. You're like, hey, things have changed. They're really nice. No, it's progressives are bad people. They're progressives first and foremost, and it is about the agenda Uberala said in the original German on purpose. And it is who they are, and it's what they do. So don't ever trust them. Don't ever believe them. And when they come to you on your terms, fine. But when they come to you and say, let's make a deal, don't ever trust them. Reagan in 86 on the border and immigration uh, amnesty, the Democrats never followed through with it. You can't trust these people. 
as far as you could throw them, and you should always act like you have a bad back and can't throw anything. So, Well, I, I uh, always have found Van Jones. Now, look, I've been upset by any number of things Van Jones has said over the years, but here's what I think. I think that the guy is actually, and I, I said this, I think he's intellectually honest. I think that he, I don't think he postures to well, get attention. Like, I think he is genuinely, I think he's genuinely int- intellectually honest about his thoughts. I, I disagree with many of them, but I don't think he's coming from a bad place. I think he's putting it out there like he sees it. And by the way, I also, I also, I would love to have a conversation with him because I, because he's the kind of guy that I think, he's the kind of guy I think if you make a point, and it's a good point. He's not just going to give you the stiff arm. He'll actually engage you in a real conversation. Now, maybe I'm wrong. That's why I asked you if you met him and, and, and know him. But um, I've always enjoyed reading what he has to say, even though I disagree now, with a lot of it. He uh, he is like that. And, he you know, the problem is getting him the first in the first place. But if you get him and you, or you corner him, I met him at a – Democratic convention a couple of conventions ago, and he he is like that, just like Bernie Sanders. You don't you don't feel like you're being lied to when you talk to Van Jones. You just think, my God, he's way wrong and crazy. Just like Bernie Sanders, you think Bernie Sanders is telling you what he truly believes because Bernie Sanders is telling you what he truly believes, but what he truly believes is horrifying. So it, there's there's a difference in that with someone like a Nancy Pelosi or a Chuck Schumer. You believe that they're telling you, you know, they're reading, reciting some talking points. They're a mile wide, an inch deep. They would tell you whatever it is that you need to hear at any given moment for them. They're that sort of politician. They're like a, a, a bag of water. They are whatever shape they need to be. I don't get that from, from Van Jones. I don't get that from, from Bernie Sanders. I get that from most politicians, frankly on either side of the aisle, but not from them. It's just what they truly believe is crazy. Mm. Okay. So I want to get your remarks on the shooting and stuff. we got to go to break soon. But before you do that, um, I was very disappointed that Rona McDaniels won a fourth uh, term as the RNC chair. She says this is going to be her last term. She wants to go on a unity tour. She wants Harmeet and... uh, (laughs) And Mike Lindell to join her on her unity tour to bring the party together. If you look on social media, a lot of the people that are uh, that supported her meet are very, very disappointed. Um, do you think it matters? No, they aren't. <laughs> the last time the Republicans had a well, one of the last times Republicans had a a very good uh, midterm or election, when we took the House in 2010, Michael Steele was chairman of the party. And we see how well that worked out. Nobody votes for the... Yeah, no, what a a joke and a disappointment. So nobody votes because of the party. The party care can raise money. They, They do need to raise money. And what they really need to do is sort of set the priorities. But they don't get to command. They can't say... Hey, Michigan GOP, here's what you must do. They can do it. You do this or you don't get any money, which is bad leadership. But um, they can't order these. It's 50 different states and state parties that can do what 
they want to do with the help, hopefully, ideally, from the National Party. So who the captain of a ship you're not on really is doesn't really matter. So, um, I don't I would have preferred Harmeet Dillon because what they can do is sort of draw attention to things and somebody needs to wake up and go, we've got to do this uh, voting by mail thing. We've got to do, we've got to embrace it as much as we hate the concept. It's just how things are. And maybe I think this will, it's something Ronna McDaniel could do. Maybe she will. Hopefully she will. Um, So it doesn't really matter who your driver of your car is. If the car is finely tuned, you're going to stand a chance of winning the race. I think that, um, McDaniel had the fear of God put into her and that uh, the changes that need to be made are, are known. I just hope she makes them. Derek Hunter is with us here. Derek's going to continue with us. Um, your calls are welcome. We're going to take calls to 800-848-WABC. We'll talk about the video that was released last night and so many other things. James Golden. Bo Snurley with you here. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. And yes, we are glad that Derek wakes up every week to join us. And he wasn't out protesting last night, sadly. Because I would have loved to see what it was like. You know, Derek's down there in the Beltway. So I would have loved to have seen what it was like, the protest in the Beltway. We we know New York's were kind of, they turned violent in Times Square. Anyway. Coming back, don't go away. to real New York on 77 you know, I did an interview with George Benson a while back, and one of the things we talked about was Al Jarreau. And what a unique vocalist he was. He was one of America's premier vocalists of all time. Amazing singer. Derek, have you ever heard of Al Jarreau? Uh, first of all, let me just say that at the beginning of that song, it sounds like somebody was beating the hell out of Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> but Al Jarreau is sick. Incredibly vocal, vocalist is incredibly smooth. He did the theme song to Moonlighting. It's probably his biggest hit. That uh, it just, you know, it, 
the way that I would describe his voice is like spilled milk on porcelain. It doesn't get any smoother than the voice of Al Jarreau. Not not necessarily my favorite, but I can appreciate it. Well, Al Jarreau is. Uh, I saw him in concert. I'm concerned about the health of Bobby McFerrin after it sounded like somebody <laughs> jumped into the stairwell. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> One of the things that uh, Van Jones uses as a, as a supporting argument to his theme about black cops being racist, he cites lyrics from Ice Cube and N.W.A., but don't let it be a black and white cop because they'll slam you down the street top, black police showing out for the white cop. And what he said, what he's saying is, look, that these, at the end of the day, it is the race of the victim who is brutalized, not the race of the violent cop. That's the most relevant in determining whether racial bias is a factor in police violence. Now, no, it's more whether or not it helps Democrats. That's really what they care about. It, I told you progressives are progressives first, anything else a distant second. And so they don't look at this as a, a human being. They look at this as an opportunity, an opportunity and whether or not it is something they can exploit. It's been a while it, for, you know, everybody remembers the summer of 2020, right? The summer of the BLM Antifa riots. They're like the AFL-CIO. They joined forces and became one horrible, giant organization. Um, they remember the, the nonstop fighting and the burning. And, of course, it was black neighborhoods and black businesses and black lives that were ruined. But, hey, you know what? A lot of people got rich. And the Black Lives Matter leaders actually became real estate moguls in the summer of 2020. So it worked out for them. And that's really what the the point was. But it was also a good time for Democrats. It was a good time for Democrats. The Democrats need to keep people angry and outraged because it prevents them from thinking rationally. I bet you 99% of the things that you've apologized for in your life, James, were things that you did in an emotional state, not in a calm, rational state. Most people don't snap at somebody out of the blue. It's when they're worked up, they're stressed or whatever. So you uh, you snap and you apologize it's because you were not thinking rationally. You were impacted. Your emotions overrid everything. That's where Democrats need their base to live because if you think about the things they're doing and trying to do, you recoil in horror. But if you sit there and you are recoiling in horror and other things or living in fear or told that somebody, some nebulous other is coming to get you and Democrats are going to protect you, then you you get angry, you get upset, you get scared, you get whatever it is, and you have become an easy-to-manipulate human being. How else do you explain generational control of pits, of cities across the country, of Baltimore, of Detroit, of Philadelphia, St. Louis, Chicago, where the bodies pile up and the economy continues to find new ways to hit bottom. And every time you think it's hit bottom, they break out a backhoe and go deeper. And you go, well, why in the hell do these people keep electing the same people or even different people, but the same philosophy? It doesn't matter the physical being of the, the you know, the manifestation of the philosophy is what matters. And you go, the only way that makes any sense is people have been brainwashed or scared into thinking that as bad as it is, because there's no denying it's bad, that somehow, I don't even know how it'd be possible, the alternative is worse. And it's Derek, an emotional decision. It's not rational at all. 
I think that this, I think we're at an interesting moment in America that, that and, and if I, I, it's going to be squandered, I fear. But I just think that this could be a moment of real change. There is not one person with any credibility across the political spectrum, across the social spectrums, that thinks what happened in Memphis is justifiable. I said earlier, even even the fraternal order of police, which usually will, you know, to me, they'll duck and hide and stay quiet on things that they don't want to risk angering their membership about. Even they've come out and said, look, this is just blatant criminality. There's nothing redeemable about this. And I think if there's, which is why I don't understand these protesters trying to take this into violence. Well, of course, you explain that. But, but it would be different if there were people that were saying this is justified. And I could understand people out protesting. There's not one person in this country that you can find with credibility that thinks what happened here is good or James, justifiable. And James, this could, yes. Do you remember Saturday Night Live from your heyday when you were going to Studio 54 and hanging out with the Jacksons and everything when Dan Aykroyd would turn to Gene Curtin when they were doing the news and they'd have the point counterpoint and Jane Curtin would make her point and Dan Aykroyd would turn to her and say, Jane, you blankety blank. You remember that? Yes, I do very well. James, you blankety blank. In the summer of 2000, again, there was not a, <laughs> there was not a human being in the country who looked at the death of George Floyd in that video and thought, well, this is, this is perfectly fine. No, with Derek Chauvin basically sitting down and having a sandwich on the neck of George Floyd, nobody looked at that and was anything but horrified. The country was united. Unity. Uh, No, 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 Derek. Let me say you something. There was an undercurrent of, oh, well, you know, he was a criminal. Oh, he did that. Oh, you saw this stuff pop up, not just in some of the, I hate to say it, but in some of the right wing press. They were like, oh, he was a criminal. Oh, he had what? drugs in his system. No, oh, no, he no, did no, this. No, no, no. But no, no. The so they tried to justify. No, 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 I'm making no, the point. No, no, you don't you see are, any of that crap right now. Wrong. You are remembering wrong. That happened. But it, at the moment that the video came out and the country saw it, everybody thought, my God, that is disgusting. And then what happened? The left said, defund police. The left said all cops are bastards. The left went off on their thing, and the riots started. And then over time, people were, like, recoiling and responding to that and going, you know what? I mean, he did have a lot of fentanyl in his system, and he did. And watching his family sit there go, oh, no, it's horrible. And then somebody would say, well, when was the last time they saw him? Uh, and, and all those sorts of things. Yes, over time, it did evolve to that. But at that moment, when that video came out, the police reforms that Democrats claim that they wanted could have gotten done. Republicans were on board. They would have gotten they would have changed a lot. And instead of that, Democrats said, we can use this. We can upset our base. What if they had come together and everybody said, this is awful and we're introducing legislation that will change this and never blah, 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 even though it was all illegal anyway and 
evidenced by the fact that the guy spent the rest of his life in prison for doing it without any new laws being passed. And Democrats squandered it because it was more beneficial to them to do so. Where do you think this is going? Is this just going to be another episode and then a month, year later, we're going to be dealing with the same thing? Or do you think that there is hope, Derek, hope that as a society we can get past this moment and actually realize that there is work that has to be done in the vetting of police officers, that these relationships that police officers have when they're working in these communities that have, and, and let's face it, I mean, some of these communities, it, these are tough communities to work in. What happens from here? What happens from here? I don't have to tell you this. You see this stuff happening in Baltimore. You see I this. I grew up in Detroit. I lived in Baltimore for 13 years. I've seen this firsthand. I remember Malice Green in Detroit and the riots then back in the 80s. It is the, This is presented as the norm, even though it's the rare, rare exception. How many interactions with police officers occurred three weeks ago on this day? On that day, probably, I don't know, 100,000. And it's one one time, five cops did certainly act poorly, and the justice system will deal with them. But you, uh, let me tell you a little story, James, about the redefinition of words. Remember when you were growing up, I bet you community meant your immediate neighborhood, regardless of who it was, the Italian guy down the street, the old lady over there, the Korean. Well, Democrats have changed that to mean your skin color or your sexual orientation or now your gender identity. They'd much rather people who are susceptible to their stupidity and division, care more about what happened to somebody who sleeps with someone like they do, who lives a thousand miles away, than what happens to your neighbor three houses down. And as long as that continues, this sort of stuff will continue. Because in the grand scheme of things, this is a horrible incident that matters only to the family and friends of the victim. It is. It's just like the Washington Post Uh, the way the Washington Post tried to play off the uh, Kermit Gosnell mass murder story was it's a local crime story. It's worthy of note, but the media has a hierarchy. It is a white, an attractive white girl disappeared. Anything happens to a attractive white girl. Either she disappears or she disappears somebody. That stops all the presses and people are dispatched to cover the story in Aruba or wherever the hell it is. Then it is uh, black victim cop than it is anything else, unless it's a celebrity. That's the hierarchy of media because it helps or can be used by the Democrat Party. But in the grand scheme of things, this is a Bigfoot. This is a rare thing, and it's a good thing that it's a rare thing. We've come such a long way just in your lifetime as a species, as a people, as a country, But if you acknowledge that, if you celebrate it, it doesn't help Democrats. So they won't allow it to happen. But that's why we have to. I got to take a break. We're coming back. We're going to give some calls, Derek. Don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, it's our Saturday morning radio extravagance. Coming back, your calls. We'll join this discussion right after this. 
knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Looking glass. Brand day. On a western bay and it serves a hundred ships a day. Lonely sailors pass the time away and talk about their homes. And there's a girl in this harbor town and she works laying whiskey down. They say brandy, fetch another round. She serves them whiskey and wine. The sailors say Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Let's head to the telephones. Derek Hunter is with us. Steve in Orange, New York. Welcome. How are you, Steve? Hey, what's going on, Bo? How you doing? Great, thank you. You know, I um you know, it, it's funny. I watched CNN last night, you know, flicking back and forth on the TV. And, uh, you know, CNN really, really tried to start something. I mean, they were trying to instigate, instigate um, any – somebody threw a bottle on the street of uh, West 5th Street. Oh, my God, it's a riot. Um, they they were so horrible on the way they were trying to make um, this whole thing bigger um, – than it was and trying to put ideas in people's heads. Now, my take on this, this is four four cops that Five. messed up and they're, and they're bad cops, right? Um, but CNN was just constantly, you know, I don't know why any cop would even watch CNN after this because they just went off for like five hours saying how bad the police were. Wow. And, Derek, uh, did you watch any no, of CNN's coverage last night? Are you surprised by any of this? Did I watch it? No, I didn't. I went to the gym and, and decided to uh, hang out with my kids because I don't hate myself that much. No, I, 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 I could have written the script for CNN. Why would I watch it? You know, like, it's the same old song. They could have done a rerun from 2020. They just go, you know what, get the tape. We all want to go have a drink. Don Lemon wants to get, well, he's on the mornings now, but they could have just put a rerun on. What's the point in watching any of it? Wow. Steve. I, I, I watch so little cable news now, James. My life is infinitely better because of it, and I highly recommend to everybody, no matter what channel you watch, just like Rush used to say, turn it Rush, off. Rush used to say that all the time with cable news, turn it off. Just turn it off. Exactly. Tony in Manhattan, you're, you're on with James hey. Golden, that case, nearly, and with Derek Hunter. Hi, Tony. Okay, to follow the caller. I watch Fox News, ABC, and all of them. Once in a while, I turn to CNN. He was very, very disappointed after you hear what this man went through, calling his mother this and that. And this is the way the lady started the news. A black man was beaten by five police officers. Why she have to do that? That's instigating. And let me tell you, people don't know about CNN, as I know, for a long time, since the 80s, when the owner, uh, Ted Turner, I think the name is, he had a daughter who was an activist. Mm -hmm. 
well, disdain. Well, on on the way that you say that they opened their reporting, that was the fact. The black man was beaten by by cops. Okay, and so yeah, but that happened. You know, um, and 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 believe me, and and I don't think it should be downplayed. Look, is one of the things that I think. James, is mm-hmm. it national news? Is it stop the presses everywhere yes. in front of news? It is. Yes. Look, because it because because look. One of the now, things. Why isn't it when it's a white man or a Hispanic man being black cops? It should be. Too. It should be. Well, why isn't it? So it isn't because that isn't doesn't it? fit their because that doesn't fit the narrative of the mainstream press. You 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 articulated that very well, but it should be. Look, one of the things that I have said all along is that I, one of the things that makes me uncomfortable is the kind of knee jerk reaction that happens on our side. Some when some of these things happen, not all of them. Some of them, you know, I, and it's all- I can I can look at this and go, God, that's horrible. And then the, I will admit, I'll confess, the second I see Ben Crump on the scene or Al Sharpton on the scene, I'm out. I treat it like a, a blackjack dealer in Vegas, where you clap your hands together and go, I'm out. I got nothing up my sleeve. I want once Ben Crump comes on the scene, I know that the truth doesn't really matter. Whatever the truth is, and the truth is horrible, but sometimes the truth isn't horrible enough. There isn't enough attention. Whatever it is, these guys have an agenda, a political okay, agenda, let me... a monetary agenda, and it, it just it gets out. Is there no other lawyer in the whole country except for Ben Crump? And why does he have to sit in on, on every television interview? Well, you, sit in, you sit off camera. That's the job. But you sit on camera? This is about you. This has become a spectacle. And once it becomes a spectacle, no matter how horrible the initial incident is, I start to lose interest, and I step away. Mentally, you know what? Not something I'm proud of, but it's true. Derek, let me say something to you about that. See, this is what I mean, though, about the knee jerk. When everybody started talking about Breonna Taylor's case, I I read the same kind of knee jerk. What happened in the Breonna Taylor case was egregious. And her boyfriend, by the way, they didn't even identify the right guy. And her boyfriend was slammed with some kind of cop killer for trying to defend his life. And I don't even know whether people to this day realize that the police in that incident have finally admitted that they blew it from the search warrant being wrong, from the wrong information there. It should have never happened. It was egregious every step of the way. But James, they blew it. There's a difference between somebody blowing it and getting something horribly wrong and them sitting around going, how can we go screw some black people today? And the left But when it costs black people, look, happened. look, no, I'm sorry. When it costs people their lives, like this young girl, Breonna Taylor, who should be alive today, but she isn't. And we see this time and time again. And people that don't live, um, I dare say, in black neighborhoods and don't experience this when the, when the cameras are not on, when it doesn't make national news, but it still happens in your neighborhood. I, I'm one of those people. I, I grew up I'm in Jamaica, you, Queens. Dave. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, where a nine-year-old boy was killed by a cop who tried to frame him, and nothing happens to the cop. You grew up. Okay. You grew up, what, what year was this? What year was this? This is when I in the 70s. Okay, so it's not the 70s anymore. The same stuff it's, is still happening, point. though. That's what no, you don't get, not, Derek. Now, James, do you remember the, the white guy who died? Breathe, saying he couldn't breathe. A cop was on him. I think it was down yes, in Dallas. Yes, 
Yes, I what's remember that case. What's, what's, what's his name? Damn, if I remember his name, I know what he's happened, and I read right, the case, and remember. I was horrified. You can, see, you can watch the video that 99% of the people listening to us right now have never heard of, let alone never saw the video. It was George Floyd. It was just the wrong skin color. So, do with race. This has to do with bad policing, a very tiny percentage of bad police. But bad policing, that's it. But you can't really monetize and mobilize based on bad policing alone. You have to bring in race. And that's what the Democrats do. That's what I understand that, but go, I'm out. Okay, so Derek, here, here, I know time is running out, sadly, but here's, here's a question I want to pose to you. Everybody always gripes, especially you hear conservatives, oh, there's Al Sharpton, there's Bim Crump. Okay, where are your lawyers representing these people? If you're so pissed off that they go there, then why aren't some of the conservative lawyers who believe in civil rights, why don't they send their freaking lawyers to help these families in crisis? You're always complaining about Al Sharpton. Where and are ben, my ambulance chasers compared to the left's ambulance it's chasers? It's not just ambulance chasers. Ambulance chasers? No. Look, oh, my gosh. You can't, you can't tell me there isn't another attorney out there. But you know what? Ben Crump has the the infrastructure to be the first one on the phone. He also has the – I'm sure he has media scouts he's paying in Greece and two to get him in. It is – you know, when this happens, he has the Google alert set up. You're we got to go, Derek. Lawyers aren't shameless enough. I'm sorry. Thanks, yeah. Derek. Always a pleasure. Have a, have a great one, James. Love you, too. you buddy. Love Bye. you, too. We'll be back hour two. See you later in just a minute. Don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to our number duos, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. I am James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly. Glad that you are here with us. Have that first, second, third, fourth cup of coffee with us. Or if you're a tea drinker, well, on you. Um, <laughs> thank you, Derek. Always a pleasure to catch up with Derek. He's a brilliant guy. I just love talking with Derek. He always comes up with, he is so clean and articulate. <laughs> That's what Joe Biden said about Obama. That I'm just, I'm just ragging. <laughs> don't you remember that? That's when Joe, Biden, when they were in the Senate, you don't remember that. Oh yeah. Joe Biden, Obama. Oh, yeah, finally, we have a clean, articulate one. Was like, that when they first ran? That was before, when Obama first was was being discussed as a possible presidential candidate. And Harry Reid, the Senate Democrat leader, talked about how Obama was so great at understanding. He can do both the Negro dialect. He said it, the Negro dialect. And he can also, I mean, these Democrats are so racist. And, uh, yeah. But I want to continue something that I said because this is, and I know many of you, and I'm I'm don't like to tick you off. I was scolded during the break by my my word police my word policewoman who wrote me and said, "Let me just read her text because I love Debbie Duhame so much." But Debbie is my official 
word police person. She said, please avoid the words pee off. There are better words, James. Love you. Watch your language. Thank you, Debbie. So I should have said teed off. Now, there are many people who always get teed off every time Al Sharpton and now Benjamin Crump show on the scene. In fact, Benjamin Crump, I was a little annoyed with something he said about Ron DeSantis this week, which was a blatant lie that Ron DeSantis DeSantis wants to get rid of black education in Florida. I'm paraphrasing the remark, which is untrue. But to every single one of you, and I say this with love, with deep love for you, because you know I love this audience, I do. But if you're one of the people in my audience and you say, I get so sick of saying Al Shelton and Ben Crump every time something happens out there, here are these race hustlers, here are these poverty pimps. Here, I got, I, here's a question. Where are we? Where are conservatives when something truly awful happens to a black family in America? How come somebody from the conservative side isn't rushing to be by their side that has power and influence and can help navigate the family through the tragedy? Where are we? So if you're sick of them, Where have we been all these years? The reason that they show up is because they're filling a vacuum. And we have never, on the conservative side, had people to go in and fill these vacuums when it's black Americans that are in trouble, getting beat up, killed by the cops unjustifiably. And I say that not to say that every one of these incidents is that there are incidents where the perp has died and they deserve to have been killed because they try to kill a cop. They try to kill a law enforcement officer or they're engaged in activity that could harm that police officer's life. And those are called justifiable homicides and they do happen. And there is also, and people on the left are going to get mad at me for this one, there's also a responsibility that black families have. Teach your kids not to be criminals, for goodness sakes. If you don't want, and, and not all black people are criminals, not all black kids are criminals, but I'm talking about to these elements. Like you keep reading about these kids that get involved in these police altercations and something bad happens, and then when you go back and you look at the past, sometimes... On occasion, you find these kids that have been mixed up with law enforcement problems ever since they were prepubescent. I mean, admit that there's a problem here. Admit that there's a problem in the culture. Admit that there's a problem in a culture that glorifies uh, criminal behavior, that justifies wanting to be a gangster. Admit you got a problem. That is not a righteous lifestyle. And if you pursue that lifestyle as it's glorified as the street life, if you pursue the street life, well, then you're going to end up 
probably in trouble. Because that's what the street life is. It is an, a lifestyle that glorifies illegal behavior. So there's a lot that has to be done. But on the conservative side, don't get, why are you getting mad at Sharpton? Why are you getting mad at Crump? Where's your guy to help these families? Anyway, there are other things in the news. And we're going to hear from America's small caffeinated mom later in the hour, too. I mentioned this. Yesterday, we did a story about the professor of biology, a professor of biology at Texas Christian, Texas Christian University, who was too either afraid or whatever to define what a biological woman is. That is how twisted we have, in twisted in knots, we have gotten ourselves. There's another story. This story is just emerging. Twitter execs internally trashed the Russian bot theory that was used to target conservatives on Twitter. They didn't dismiss it. Now, there's a group that was responsible for this notion that there were, uh, that was helped to perpetuate this idea that it was all Russian bots. And they're called the Alliance for Securing Democracies Hamilton 68 dashboard, created by a former FBI guy, counterintelligence official Clint Watts. When I tell you the FBI has been corrupt forever, you see their little tentacles from the present guys to the former guys. Now, these guys set up this dashboard to reportedly track Russian influence on Twitter. And it became widely cited by the media and Democrat lawmakers to discredit conservatives and silence their views on social media. They're all Russian bots. Adam Schiff and Dianne Feinstein both jumped on this idea that the Kremlin was behind a lot of the stuff. They And both of them seized on the idea that the Kremlin's troll farm, Russian bots, was behind a trending hashtag on Twitter calling for the release of classified a classified memo submitted by Devin Nunes which detail the FBI abuses and the role of the debunked Steele dossier against Trump. Richard Blumenthal. You all talk about George Santos and you want George Santos. Richard Blumenthal had no, if, if, if Santos and lying is your criteria, what is Richard Blumenthal still doing in the Senate? Connecticut Democrat. He also wrote a separate open letter denouncing Nunes at the time. Now we learn this whole Hamilton 68 business. Listen to some of the people. Their advisory council includes a deep bench of well-connected officials 
including Ambassador to Russia Michael McFall, former Clinton White House Chief of Staff John Podesta, several top officials from the CIA, the National Security Agency, and the Department of Homeland Security. So all of these people were lined up claiming that conservatives were actually Russian bots and got them suppressed on social media. This is your government and government officials basically saying, we don't like what conservatives are saying. We're going to claim they're, they're, they're Russians and they're working for a foreign government and we'll shut it down. You will be surprised in coming weeks. I know of one, but I can't say it just yet. I don't have permission to talk about it. I know of one of these conservative sites that was named as a Russian bot. And their traffic was suppressed. It hurt their business. This is what was going on in this country. The government was weaponized to shut down the opposition. This is a continuation of what the IRS did with Lois Lerner, where conservative groups were trying to form, and they wouldn't let them get their tax-exempt status. There was a war on conservatives, a war on conservative groups. This is a war on conservative media, and look who's in it. Elements of the CIA, elements of the national. This sounds like some kook conspiracy stuff, but it's not. This is actually happening in America. Elements of your government, the CIA, the National Security Agency, Homeland Security, are working to shut down conservative media in America. We have turned into some kind of third world nation, folks. And we have to get the country back from these people. This is intolerable. It is disgusting on a whole nother level of disgusting. I want to get to your calls. We put a lot of stuff on the table so far. But I'm going to ask this question again. Like Derek raised in his last segment with us. Oh, here comes Ben Crump and all these guys. Where are our guys? This is why I say this is a defining moment. This could be if we take advantage of it right. And I don't mean take advantage by exploiting Tyree Nichols' death. I'm saying by acknowledging what the whole country knows, that it was wrong. It is time for all voices to speak up and demand the kind of reforms in police departments so that this does not happen again. And demand, and I am so glad to see in Memphis, you're not seeing any elements of a cover-up. You're seeing the police chiefs come out. You're seeing these people saying, these are criminal cops and we are going to prosecute them. There's no police unions all around trying to make flimsy excuses for horrible policemen. It is time to clear the decks of these rogue cops that execute people. They have no right to execute citizens of the United States. The guy ran away. Okay, so you're going to beat his ass until he's dead? Because he ran away from you because you were beating his ass? No. No. And it's time that this crap stops. Oh, boy, Debbie's going to be really annoyed with me now. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back right after this. Entertaining and informative. 
James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. It's Saturday morning here. Saturday morning in America. Have that first cup of coffee. Or your second. With us here on WABC. Aretha. For me to love you. The queen of soul. If you want, let me. It ain't no way for me to give you. Woman's duty is to have and love me, and that's the way it was for me. No way. Aretha Franklin brings us back on WABC. Let's get back to the telephones. Daniel in Central New Jersey. You've been waiting a while. Thank you for waiting. How are you this morning, Daniel? Very good. I want to give a a bright light for people. Um, I spoke to you last year about um, the sun hitting uh, Alaska in in January, January 19th. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And that continues. The, the sun increases by five minutes for up, for those people up there. They're now getting, as of yesterday, they're getting two hours instead of an hour and a half. And this is a, uh, a navigation through the snow, if you will, toward Groundhog Day. And as of the 26th of uh, this month, um, that would be uh, Thursday, our normal average daily high temperature goes up by half a degree per day. And one full week from that date is Groundhog Day, and that's when our normal average daily high temperature goes up by one degree Fahrenheit per day. Now, it has nothing to do with the groundhog, but there is reason for optimism. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what, too. You know, what, you know what's remarkable? And thank you for sharing that. You know what also? Uh, Roy Spencer, who was Russia's meteorologist, and he has a distinguished career in climatology. Roy Spencer shared a photo on social media this week of a comet that is can be seen now that the earth that passes the earth every 10,000 years and it is beautiful. So those of you that are into astronomy, you may want to you know take a look at that and also enjoy. It was uh it's it, you know we live in a fascinating universe that our creator has made for us. Fascinating. Thank you for the call. 
Let's go to Clarence in Queens, New York. Clarence, welcome you on WABC, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. How are you, Clarence? I'm doing great. Good morning, Mr. Snurley. Yes, this is a question of police procedure, but I think it's a, a police culture. It's not so much as a black and white issue, because if you remember the movies from the 70s, if you ran, the white boys got their asses beat, too. Now, in terms of my personal experience, when I was in grammar school, and I'm 58 now, it was commonly told to my buddies that if you run from the police, they're going to put a can of whip-ass on you. And the, that's just part of the police culture. Now, how we can deal with that, that's something for the experts to actually come about and solve it. But if we just put it in the black and white dynamic, we really poison ourselves. I just also want to say I'm one of the people who believes Ron DeSantis is a racist because of the fact that in this situation, Ron DeSantis was saying it's okay to run over protesters. I, 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 I accept that, but that's what whoa, my... Whoa, 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 back up and repeat because your phone line... Hey, you said you believe Ron DeSantis is a racist because what? I, I call him Ron the racist because in a situation like this, from the Black Lives Matter protest, what he did was they passed the legislation where it's okay, people get immunity if they run over protesters. And now, so can, they, okay, now, now you hold on just a minute here. You call somebody racist, you should be able to back that up with their motive and their intent. And let's talk about what you just said for a moment. Okay, I want you to do something, Clarence, and I want you to be honest with me, all right? I want you to be honest. Can you promise me right now that you will give me your honest answer, okay? Swear to God. Okay, I'm going to walk you through a scenario. I'm going to walk you through this scenario. Let's say that your loved ones, if you have a wife, it's your wife and your child, are in a car. And they're on their way to the grocery store. And on the way to the grocery store, they're surrounded by a mob. And the mob starts shaking their car after they stop and starts pounding on the windows. And your wife and your baby are in that car. And they believe that their lives are going to be in danger because of some protest that's happening out there. What would you want, honestly, what would you want your wife to do driving that car? I would say she needs to protect herself and run. But I would uh, say that she wait, would Wait, 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 stop. They're in a car. They cannot get out of the car and drive and run through the crowd that is rocking the car and protesting. So what would you want your wife to do if she's in a car with your baby and they're in the middle, stuck in the middle of a protest? What did you want them to do? To drive away. Racist. You racist. You racist. How dare you? They should stay there and get killed. It's to prove that they're not racist. Now, that's all Ron DeSantis is saying, bro. That's all he's saying. If you get trapped in one of these things but with Antifa and all of that, and you get caught inside of a protest, you have the right to get away. And if these people are threatening your life, you have a right to get away from them. Calling somebody a racist is so easy.
It's so easy to just label it racist. Like, I look at the attacks that Ron DeSantis is under this week. Ron DeSantis has come under attack because in Florida they stopped an advanced placement course for African-American history. But what wasn't reported, while everyone's talking about how Ron DeSantis doesn't want African-American education, is that by law, by statute, African-American studies are part of the Florida curriculum. What the objection was, was to two passages in this particular advanced placement course that call for queer studies and another that was basically for the critical race theory stuff that Florida has decided should not be part of the education that the state offers. That is not racist. That is a difference in policy. And Ron DeSantis is holding true to what he told voters he was going to do and was elected soundly because of it. It's so easy to call somebody a racist, but it doesn't mean they're racist. And if you were in that situation, you just admit it. If it's your wife and your kid stuck in the middle of a process and you're worried about their life, you would tell them, get out of there. And if that means running over some of these protesters that are trying to kill you, then that's what you would want your family to do to protect their own lives. There's nothing racist about that. That is human survival. And when you're dealing with the violence of these, it's like that those McCloskey people. These BLM protesters broke through a gated community. They were going in calling these people white privilege this, white privilege that, and threatening that they were going to burn down their neighborhood. So a guy and his wife stand out in front of their house with guns. And all of a sudden, they're the evil ones. We look at things so behind backwards in some parts of our society. You know, and so this could be, all of this is what I was saying earlier. We could be at a defining moment in America with the way that we handle police. And for those of you conservatives who always need jerk, let me just remind you of something. You want smaller government. You want government accountability. You want you want control of the government. Police officers are agents of the government. And what you say about the rest of the government applies to them too. And I am not anti-police. I am so pro-law enforcement, but I am not for rogue policing. And what happened in Memphis is a disgrace to this country. And if convicted, all of those officers involved should face the fullest that the law intends for murderers. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, coming back. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. 
James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. It's Saturday morning. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York with Al Green. On WABC, oh, I had some feedback, Diego. We may have to break out Ain't No Way again. I had some feedback from some ladies in the audience that are kind of like, no, 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 on Arita's lyric that it's the duty of a woman the duty of a woman to love her man that's the way it was planned like really who would find that objectionable what in the world could be objectionable well we live in a different age now let's play that just for a moment so we can hear that line that was so offensive to some. You should hear, one of these days we have to get it. You should hear the Patti LaBelle version. We don't have it, I don't think. It's Patti LaBelle. Um, it's a duet. But anyway, listen, this is Reed. There's only one. There was only one, Aretha Franklin. For me to give you all you need. If you won't let me give all of me. Okay, here we go. This was the offensive line. Yes, baby. Does she go on to sing about ironing or making dinner? Is there anything? 
that was another song called Respect. <laughs> okay. Says the guy whose wife doesn't even have an ironing board. She does not. <laughs> You've been promising to buy her an iron for about four years now, five years. Now. I thought I bought an iron no, for you her. Never got her an iron. I'm going to buy your wife an iron <laughs> so that you can know what it's like to have a woman iron your clothes, bro. <laughs> Avery, let me ask you a question. Go ahead, man. Your girlfriend iron your shirts for you ever? Uh, nah. I iron yeah. my own stuff. Oh, man. Diego, your girlfriend, wife, partner, I don't even know. I mean, I hate to, don't let me be, you know, accused of being a tra- something if I'm missing the boat here. I'm just assuming girlfriend, wife, partner, or whoever, your loved one. Does she, if it's a she, does she iron your, does she iron your shirt for you once in a while? Iron your, when you're going out somewhere, Diego, does she iron for you? Okay, I don't have headphones, full disclosure, so I didn't, can you repeat that again? Well, tell them, Avery, I'm just asking if your girlfriend, if your wife, if you're a special someone, whoever that may be, if they iron your stuff for you once in a while, iron your shirt for you. Oh, uh, when I had a girlfriend, no, I did it all myself. Boy, you guys, I'm telling you, y'all live in a whole different generation than 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 than. Yeah, g- girls not doing that anymore, man. Do they cook you dinner? Yeah, I cook my my mother raised me self sufficient. Like I, I cook my own dinner. There's nothing wrong with being self sufficient, but I'm axing. Once in a while, you know, a woman. Yeah, nowadays, nowadays, women need a map to the to the kitchen. <laughs> They need a map. Your wife cooks for you once in a while, Scott. She does. She does. And I know that for a fact. So in these other relationships, does everybody just make their own dinner? Do, 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 do you even share the same meal? Is it? Yeah, I can cook for myself. But like to them, like ordering out is cooking. Like, okay. You mean real cooking, right? Cooking, cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, like actually preparing a meal for you that someone else didn't prepare. Yeah, That's nah. not Starbucks. Like standing over the stove and making the, not assembling the food from someone else. Yeah. Actually cooking the food. Yeah, no, no, women don't do that no more. And they have the same pride when they pick up the, the delivery from the door as if they cooked the meal, too. That's the messed up part. <laughs> 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 Look what the door made. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't, you can't tell them that they didn't make it, that they didn't actually sweat over it. <laughs> the walking to the door is the, is the, the cooking. That's that's the cooking part. They walk to the door. <laughs> oh man, you guys! I, I'll tell you what. You guys don't know what it's like. I, I, in a way, I, I am so happy that I was born in the generation that I was born in, because. That was a generation that Aretha Franklin was talking about, that when she's singing a song about a woman's duty to have and love her man, and that didn't mean just having a man. That means to have and love a man and to demonstrate how you love your man, you treat him a certain way. And you guys know nothing about that life. You guys in your generations, none of you know anything about what that was like. Like, I, and, and believe me, I've seen the changes. I remember my mom, 
right? When we were little kids and all that stuff, oh man, you know, I even hate to say it because it sounds so. My mom would cook the meals, and then she would serve my dad, right? So my dad's place was at the head of the table, and mom would serve my dad his food. That was just the way it was done. And then afterwards, you know, the kids or mom get up, and they get dad's plate, and they, you know, take it and do all of that stuff. Now, dad was the breadwinner, and dad was... And and my mother also worked, and and so many other women did this too. They worked, they took care of the family, they did all of that stuff, right? Oh, Rhonda's weighing in too, boy. I love it. And 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 I have. And what does Teresa say? She's saying, yeah, if I had a man that loved me, I would gladly love him in every way, and that would be my duty, my plan. And she said, I ironed my husband's clothes, got up every morning, cooked his breakfast, packed his lunch, had his clothes ready for him every day. <laughs> but then she said something else, but he was still an a-hole. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. You don't see that much. You don't see that anymore. Now you got two million Kim Kardashians. Wow. What's your, what is it like when you date these with these women? I mean... Do they lay out their expectations for you? What is it? What's it like? It's just how it is now. That's how it is now in society. Like, if you want to eat, then, you know, you got to learn how to hunt. (laughs) 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 The the, the, the prey has evolved. You can't go with the same weapons from 30 years ago. (laughs) You're going to starve out there. Oh, we're going to come back to your telephones. We have not forgotten your telephones. We're going to hear from uh, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda, when we get back. Yesterday we had, and then, yes, everybody on hold, please stay on hold. Your calls are very, very important to me. We're going to take your calls. But <laughs> everybody's weighing in. My, 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 my Twitter DM, I'm at BoastNerdly. S-N-E-R-D-L-E-Y on Twitter, is blowing up. My my messages are blowing up. Yeah, that ain't happening in terms of cooking and cleaning and having a woman serve you. I got that. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <sighs> but we'll hear from America's Small Caffeinated Mom. We're going to continue with your calls and with our discussions, our numerous discussions here about a woman's duty when we get back, so don't go away. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, is on 77 WABC. Anita... Brings us back here on WABC New York. We are the crown jewel of American radio. And this is so apropos of our discussion. Ain't there something I can give in exchange for everything you give to me? Read my mind, you make me feel just fine when I think my peace. 
Fun of Anita Baker. Boy, I tell you it what. It says ironing the best that I can, baby. Ironing the best that I can. <laughs> I'm making fun of her. We have America's small caffeinated mom with us right now. Rhonda Schrock. Rhonda, oh, how yeah. are you this morning? <laughs> we are laughing over this discussion, James. And we means my husband and the cub, I call him the cub, our 16-year-old, this conversation you were, you were just having with your staffers about cooking and ironing and all that, you had us laughing. But let me tell you this. It is a privilege for me as the only woman in the house to cook, to um, iron what needs to be ironed, to do the laundry, to take care of my family. Oh, bless we, you. We have oh, bless a you, Rhonda. Well, I... It is a privilege. Bless you. I, and I, I mean that. Um, it's also a privilege to have a wonderful man who takes care of us. So it, it works. And people looking in from the outside might think that we're old-fashioned. We're just adhering to some oppressive gender roles and expectations. But, James, it works beautifully. My husband and our sons, they do the yard. We have a three-acre plot. They take care of a lot of the outdoor work. I putter with the flowers. I work in the garden. But they do the heavy lifting out there. They help me in the house when I need it. Um, but, they, you know, they maintenance the vehicles. They do that stuff for me. And I do the things here for them. They adore me. I adore them. And, yes, I have a brain. And, yes, I have a career. And, yes, I've had uh, another different successful career, a couple of them. And so I'm smart, I use my brain, but I'm the heart of this home. And the people that live here and are connected to me love me. And I love them. Let me read you something that I just got. Every now and then, a person with no agenda, no ulterior motive, and no self-interest will take pleasure in helping you to succeed, grow, and live your purpose. This person will operate in love, will seek uh-huh. no praise, and will want nothing in return. This person is a gift. And that yeah. is a life of love where you are not scrapping and demanding your own rights. You can do that, but it will come at a price. It will come with a cost. And I see so much of that in modern feminism. And I guess I'm going to skewer a sacred cow. Much of modern feminism is a screaming 
for some rights that we think we have. When living in love means that I sacrifice some of my rights, quote unquote rights, for something much greater. And in return, my husband sacrifices some of his quote unquote rights for me. We've been married for 35 years, and you know, we've given each other some hell, but we've given each other a lot of heaven. And who benefits from that? Our children. Wow. Rhonda brings it all home, folks. All right. I asked you earlier in the week, well, yesterday, in fact, when I did this story about, which I couldn't, it blew my mind, a professor at Texas Texas Christian University was to a biology professor at Texas Christian University would not, could not, chose not to define when asked what is a biological woman to his students. And you had some thoughts. You had one thought about that you shared with me, and I said, Nope, I want to hear what you have to think about this. So, Rhonda, what is it that you think about this? Well, I texted you and I said, is it getting hard for people, even Christians, to tell the truth anymore? Is this a courage failure? And you challenged me to write an essay on that, and so I did. So I'm just going to read you uh, what I wrote last night on the topic of courage, because if there was ever a time in our modern history as a country where courage was needed, it is now. So I'm going to read you what I have, and I'd love to hear what you think about it, okay? Go ahead. Okay. When our founding fathers established this nation, their hallmarks were courage, faith in God, and an unquenchable love for freedom. It was this love that drove them. It was their faith that sustained them, and it was their courage that made them look tyranny squarely in the face. It was tyranny that blinked. Because of their courage, America was born. Courage, Merriam-Webster says, is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. The battlefields on our precious shores are hallowed grounds, for there the blood of these courageous patriots watered the seeds of freedom for all. These freedom seeds included, among others, the freedom to bear arms, freedom of the press, freedom to gather peacefully, freedom of religion, and the freedom of speech. Over 200 years later, every one of these freedoms is under attack. Very noticeably in recent months, the freedom of speech has felt the blade. Where public discourse once was open and unfettered, now the iron hand of tyranny grips free speech around the throat. It wears a velvet glove called tolerance, stitched together by relative truth, and it masquerades as love. Those who resist its cruel grip and seek to cry out warnings, ripping back the glove to reveal the hand within, those brave souls are besieged by the howling mob. Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. We have heard this chant before. True courage, the kind that causes a man to give his life for another, that causes a woman to give hers too. Real courage that builds nations and defends the helpless and does impossible things, that courage is grounded in a twofold kind of love. First, such courage loves truth. It knows that truth is eternal, always constant, never changing. It believes 
that truth has its source in an almighty God who, too, is eternal and unchanging. This is a cause worth defending, worth protecting. For the sake of truth, courage gives its all. Second, courage loves others. The hearts of noble men and women are ruled by love. It is a love that puts others first and themselves last. It fills them with a mental and moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand all manners of dangers, fears, and difficulties. This love will die before it gives up, and such has been our heritage of gold as America's sons and daughters. The patriots who birthed this country with all of its great and wonderful blessings have passed. They have gone on to their reward. They have finished their task. In this grave hour, the fight for freedom and for the future of this nation now falls to us. In Samuel Adams' American Independence Speech in 1776 are these prescient words. You have now in the field armies sufficient to repel the whole force of your enemies and their base and mercenary auxiliaries. The hearts of your soldiers beat high with the spirit of freedom. They are animated with the justice of their cause, and while they grasp their swords, they can look up to heaven for assistance. Your adversaries are composed of wretches who laugh at the rights of humanity, who turn religion into derision, and would, for higher wages, direct their swords against their leaders or their country. Go on, then, in your generous enterprise with gratitude to heaven for past success and confidence of it in the future. For my own part, I ask no greater blessing than to share with you the common danger and common glory. If I have a wish dearer to my soul than that my ashes may be mingled with those of a Warren and Montgomery, it is that these American states may never cease to be free and independent. In these perilous days, James, may our hearts beat high with the spirit of freedom. May we go on in our generous enterprise with gratitude to our heaven for past success and confidence of it in the future. May the God of unchanging truth and unconditional love fill our hearts with courage, a courage that loves others more than ourselves, and a courage that loves the truth too much to give up. And as always, may God bless America. Wow. My remarks, Rana, that is just not only brilliant, touching, poignant, it is a reminder of who we are. You know, so many people talk about the founding, and it's just like in the, in, the, in the founding, all of these profound thoughts that you expressed here were the topic of the American discussion at the founding. And a lot of people don't even realize that now because we don't, history, the history of this nation is not taught. And what this freedom was born for. And I say that at the same time understanding that that freedom was not complete at the founding by any stretch of the imagination. Yes. But what a glorious past this nation has. And it, you're right. This is our job to continue it and to and to not cower to this current day tyranny, whether yes. it be discussing the coronavirus or anything or this this idea that biology isn't biology and science isn't science. We have to have the courage to stand for the truth. Amen. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank yeah. you so much. Love you, darling. Okay. Love you, too. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, 
That's it for our number duo. Our number trio coming up. We're going to get to your calls really soon. Not going to wait to get to the calls. So stay with us. Your phone calls coming up, and we've got more on the other side. Don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to our number trio. I promised we would get to the telephones, and we're going to do exactly that. Cheryl Chumley is going to join us at 930. There is... She did a column this week, and that's why I asked her to join us. Let me just give you the headline of that column. The WEF pushes global treaty global treaty for vaccine passports and never-ending shots. So we'll talk with Cheryl about that column that she wrote for the Washington Times uh, this week. In the meantime, people have been waiting. Let's uh, let's get to some of the telephone calls that we have here, and thank you all for waiting. Chris in the Catskills. How are you, Chris? Hey, good morning, James. I'm hanging in there. Uh, I wanted to bring up a couple things. Maybe I could bring up something, you know, about Memphis, but I wanted to bring up something very important first that's not getting a lot of coverage like it should. Governor Kathy Hochul needs to sign the Grieving Families Act, Bill S-74A, by the end of the business day on Monday, or else it will be an effective pocket veto. It was overwhelmingly passed in the state Senate, bipartisan, by a vote of 56 to 7. The Grieving Families Act extends the statute of limitations to sue for wrongful death for all types of re- any reason, you know, medical negligence, uh, vehicular homicide, Uh, you know, a criminal activity from two years to three and a half years. It extends the ability of the uh, managing family members of the estate. And it also allows family members to sue for pain, suffering, mental anguish and grieving, out-of-pocket expenditures for medical uh, autopsies, things like that. Currently, New York State is only one of five states in the entire country that does not allow to uh, family members to sue for pain, anguish, mental suffering, out-of-pocket expenditures. Uh, Unfortunately, the hospital and medical dental lobbies are against this, as are the insurance companies. But there's a very poor point in op-eds written, like in the Buffalo News, uh, the president of the Orthopedic Surgical Association, who's actually based out of Long Island, he wrote, Uh, a a letter very short that had so many factual inaccuracies in it uh, calling for Hochul not to sign it. But there's been a lot of pressure being put on her to sign it. It's very perplexing why she hasn't. Now, ironically, the chairman of the New York State Senate Judiciary Committee, where they just turned down Kathy Hochul's uh, judicial nomination, he's the author of this bill. So I don't know if this is Um, you know, playing games, but Governor Hochul can prove herself by signing this into law. It's needed. And people can contact her at governor.ny.gov 
or they can phone and leave a message to her office, 518-474-8390. This bill needs to get signed by the end of the business day on Monday, Grieving Families Act. With the uh, situation in Memphis, those police officers were so zealous to pepper spray that guy, yank him out of his car for what looked like a uh, nondescript traffic stop where he wasn't doing much wrong or anything wrong at all. They peppered sprayed one another. If you watch the video, that's what got them so ticked off. Well, regardless of what got them ticked off, the idea that police officers think it's their right to execute another human being to serve as the jury, the judge, and the executioner is heinous. As I mentioned during the first hour, the stepdad is also demanding that EMS workers be held to account, too, because when they came to the scene, they stood around for 20 minutes and did nothing to get medical aid to him, according to the father. There's a lot to unpack here. And I do think that this is one moment that we have in America. We have a country that is united in thinking that this is an awful thing and should not happen. And I think that we need to, on the conservative side of the aisle, take a greater role in demanding the kind of police reforms that would prevent this from happening again. And as I mentioned to Derek, you know, it's one thing for us to sit on the sidelines, conservatives, and knee-jerk every time something happens, there's an incident with black people in the police. It's another thing to actually step up with the right message and be involved and actually forcefully say, not only is this wrong, but we need to find ways to stop this from happening, whether it's better vetting of police officers, whether it's uh, whether it's making sure that when they are held accountable, it is to the fullest extent of the law. I mean, I can imagine... And you just know this is going to happen. No matter what happens at the trial here, wait for the DOJ to get involved with the civil rights suit. That'll happen. Because that's what Democrats do. They use every one of these incidents as a political incident. We need to get past the politics on this and make it clear in no uncertain terms that this behavior on the part of any law enforcement agency in this country is unacceptable and should not happen. Thank you. I appreciate you call so much, Chris. Gail in Dutchess County. Welcome. How are you, Gail? Good. Uh, good morning and thank you. Thank you for taking the call. Um, a, a couple of things. Um, you know, I, I like I like the music that you played old school. I like that too. Um, thank you. America was America was a civilized country. You know, when the music was all about love and romance, you know, today it's the Wild West, you know, and uh, and the record companies, the record companies are just chasing the money. They're passing. They're they're pro- promoting these values by by uh, recording these records for these young people. OK. And the second thing about this is this is old school. You know, the police used to retire at age 65 like everybody else. And they were from the community where they grew up. These are seasoned cops. Okay, about age in their in their sixties, and they were respected, and they taught the younger ones 
to be cops back then, and they only carried a billy club. Today, you have young police policing people that are kids, basically. They're all kids that aren't much younger than than uh, than than they are. These these young cops are are policing people that aren't much younger than they are, and and there's a bad butting of the heads, and escalation occurs very rapidly. And also, you know, the old cops they used to just carry a bully club. Today they have all this extra stuff, you know, guns and the pepper spray. The pepper spray is almost just as deadly as the guns. And, uh, you know, I think maybe we should return to some of the old ways. I, I don't know how, how it, being it's gotten this far. Well, and, Gail, yeah, let okay. me just point out something that, some, that we had another caller from, and he was right about this. Some of those old ways included um, the beatdown. It wasn't all panacea and roses back then. It wasn't. It just wasn't. And, and, and I hear what you're saying. And, and let me just put it like this. In certain, in, 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 look, America has so many different kinds of communities. And so in certain communities, if you lived in the suburbs and, you know, crime wasn't a real issue and people were taught to respect the police and there was like this camaraderie thing going on and we all recognize that lawbreakers were bad and those commu- were, were bad and there was shame and shame was a certain factor. You didn't want to ever have your kid getting mixed up with anything illegal and you, you taught your kids that from the beginning. The leave it to beaver neighborhoods, right? Okay, that's different than some of these other neighborhoods in America that existed at the same time sim- simultaneously where the beatdown was part of life. That if the cops saw you, and you said anything even to defend your own rights, you got a beat down. That was part of America back then, too. Now, what we have is a moment right now in America that we could declare that the police giving beat downs to people, that era is over and needs to be over. You don't get a beat down. And by the way, I say this. And in my heart, I know that there are people who are deserving of a beatdown because of the way they treat police officers. But it is not up to the police officer to do that. They have to rise above those impulses. Right? There are people who disrespect these police officers so badly. And you can see them. They're all on videos. Now everybody shoots their worst behavior on videos and put it up on and puts it up on social media. I saw a video this week. This one actually perplexed me in a way because I, I need jerked myself. It was a woman who was coming out of a supermarket, and the cop comes to her and asks her to show the receipt because somebody says she didn't pay for the goods. This woman, she's a black woman. She was freaking belligerent. She's like, I am not showing you a receipt, blah, 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 blah. And the accuser, and she kept saying, I don't steal. I don't steal. She was outraged. But she was belligerent. And I thought to myself, oh, boy, she stole. She stole that stuff. He ends up, long story short, grabbing her out of the car. She's thrown on the ground. She's arrested, tased, whatever. I don't know whether she was tased, but she was certainly put on the ground and arrested. I think she was tased. And there were kids in the car, by the way. Uh, So you might say, okay, she got what she deserved. It turns out the woman had a receipt. She didn't steal a thing. She was outraged because her character was attacked. 
and she was belligerent because her character was attacked. I mean, this is, these things are so complex in a way. We think we know. And I will also say we think we know what police officers should do and shouldn't do, and we do know that. But I believe it's also hard for those of us who aren't police officers to put ourselves in those situations where the adrenaline is high, where you're trying to execute your duties, but they are supposed to have the training. And we cannot keep going through these something happened that was terribly wrong cases. We just can't. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, more of your calls coming up. Cheryl Chumley coming up. And more of your calls coming up. And more music coming up. And more Saturday morning here on WABC coming up. So don't go away. Coming right back. politics and so much more a true connection to real new york on 77 wabc annie lennox brings us back every day i write the list of reasons why i still believe they do exist even though it's hard to That's Annie Lennox, A Thousand Beautiful Things here on WABC. Heading back to the telephones, let us go to Leo in Manhattan. Thank you for waiting, Leo. Good morning, James. Uh, when you was, I believe, uh, with Derek uh, on on air, he was comparing the uh, George Floyd with this case of, uh, of Tyree Nicholson. Uh, these cannot be even in the same library. He was kind of putting it on the page next to each other because of uh, two 
two really major things. One of them is George Floyd was black and all the officers was white. And this is case of uh, five black officers on victim, which is black too. But the other aspect is George Floyd was 200, I don't know, 50 pounds, six foot three. And neither of the officers, the white officers could march him as alone. So when we're looking at about excessive power to outpower the person, on the other side, in this case, the victim was the weakest actually link. All the the other officers was weight-wise and, and kind of power-wise a, a bigger guys than him. And and they made absolutely unfairly... Uh, well, here's what can be... A, he, from you're making some great points, Leo, as you always do. But here's what can be compared. They were both abuses of power that should have never happened. The police do not have the authority to take your life. That is not a power, unless their own lives are threatened, unless you do something that is going to harm them, or they see that you're out to, let's say, to try to hurt someone else, they do have the right to stop you by any means necessary if you're going to do something like that. But in terms of just an interaction, a traffic stop, or something like they are not the judge and executioner. If you're not threatening their lives, they have no right or threatening to kill someone else. They have no right to execute you. And especially with these, well, not especially dead is dead, but beating you to death, no way. Andrew and Stan Hope in New Jersey, you're on WABC, James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. James, you ignorant slut. <laughs> We're allowed to say that, right? That was the Saturday Night Live reference that you and the Derek, Derek Hunter made. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, I just want to say quick with the, uh, you know, women's duty. It's from the Bible, honey, so you're going against the Bible. <laughs> and uh, after I hang up, I'm going to cook for my wife, even though she's an Asian <laughs> immigrant, but uh, so they might be more traditional. But um, what it is, I do almost all the ironing and more cooking, but when she cooks, it's awesome Thai food, so it's better. But it depends a lot on the timing. Like she's working full-time now and studying nursing in a foreign language, really, for her, so that then I'll do more of the housework. So um, it's a different era, but I want to say, Derek, he was good and, like you said, articulate, and he really speaks precisely. And um, one thing I think he missed with why the Democrats, why they keep voting Democrat is because the purse strings, like the Democrats, will hold power by having funding for for college, for if they need social welfare, like food stamps, housing, where they get control of the people that way. And they so it's not just like, you know, it's like, oh, if you change your vote, the Republicans, they might take those benefits and you need money for health care and college. And um, everything you were saying was right with the police. And I think um, one thing that I thought of, it was uh, the mayor of North New Jersey, who's black, a Democrat and a far left Democrat. But even he said to they thought to lessen police misconduct and brutality against black men, they'll hire more black officers. And they started doing that like in the late seventies and eighties. 
And he said when they did that, it actually got worse. <laughs> and he didn't say why, but I think because maybe it was like a lower standard. Oh, good, we have minorities, you know. And I think also my theory, too, is that, like you said, you were from Queens, right? You were from Queens. Yeah, I grew up in Queens. So I think um, like a black guy that grew up in Newark in the housing projects or near, I, I think he might be less likely to take, you know, like to take it from a young punk, like a young street kid that's going to disrespect like that. Well, I don't see. Called. I don't know about that. And by the way, so when when I grew up in Queens, we grew up in this nice middle class St. Albans, nice middle class neighborhood in Queens, and it was one of those almost kind of leave it to Beaver neighborhoods. And we were taught the police officer is your friend, and I remember that. I mean, my dad taught us that. And if you get in trouble, go to the police officer. I mean, things that I wouldn't necessarily. A lot has changed since then. And my next-door neighbor was a police officer. He was black, and he was a police officer with the 113th precinct. Uh, and so, look, there is so much complexity and so many layers to these relationships between policing and the communities. But this idea that you can defund police, it hurts your community, and we all know that. And only people talking about defunding the police are people who don't live in the communities that they want the police defunded in. So, Andrew, thank you so much for the call. Let us go to Tom in Woodbridge, New Jersey. Hi, Tom. How are you? Yes, good morning. <clears throat> Fairly well. Uh, regarding uh, the Memphis uh, police, and that, uh, you really can't call it anything else but a murder <clears throat> uh, regarding uh, Tyree Nichols. There's actually an ex- excellent podcast. It's actually on YouTube. It's available on YouTube. It concerns modern police culture in the United States. And the title of it is U- The U.S. is a Soft Totalitarian State with Will Grigg. The gentleman's last name is G-R-I-G-G. Again, the U.S. is a soft totalitarian state with Will Grigg. G-R-I-G-G. It's on YouTube. Now, I'll summarize that, or at least make reference to that podcast uh, in my own comments. Now, uh, you know, it's a very unfortunate thing. In fact, it's downright tragic that the media immediately seeks to racialize incidents like this and seek to bifurcate the population, black versus white, uh, how can you say, uh, minority versus uh, majority population, uh, heterosexual versus homosexual, you know, the whole identity politics nonsense. And there's a t- this tactic has a, has a rationale behind it, because when the population is bifurcated and uh, at each other's throats, there's no unity to stand against the government and its police state tactics. Uh, case in point that, you know, while it definitely is tragic and criminal what happened to Tyree Nichols, you know, again, the vast majority of uh, victims of police criminality are actually white Americans. Uh, I'll point your attention to uh, the case of Kelly Thomas. It's a name you might be familiar with. This is in Fullerton, California, back in, I believe, 2013. He was a homeless schizophrenic who was living on the streets of Fullerton, California at the time, when six uh, subhuman knuckle-dragging uh, apes in police uniforms decided to kill him for no apparent reason. And again, he was a white American, 30 young man, 37 years old, suffered from schizophrenia, who was a, at that time was unhoused, living on the streets of California. But again, he was a danger to no one, not even to himself, when these six sheriff's deputies de- decided to kill him again without provocation. I'll point your attention to another <clears throat> case that uh, briefly made media uh, headlines, and that's the case of Justine Dammon in Minnesota. 
She was a middle class woman, white woman in her 40s, who actually, ironically enough, called the police for assistance. When two of these degenerates showed up at her doorstep, one of them, apparently, I guess that he was bored or uh, you know, he had an itchy trigger finger, uh, decided to shoot this woman down in cold blood. Uh, I remember that again, case. With, yeah, I remember yeah. that case very well. And and no one could explain it. And by the way, he was this this particular officer that you're talking about was how shall we say a person of color, and and but that shouldn't even have anything to do with it. What you're describing is what we talked about. Yes, the idea that there have to be, there have to be limits on what police officers how they respond to situations, and murder is murder. I'm cutting you short because we are short on time. We have to go to a break. James Golden, and thank you for the very informed Tom, uh, Tom, for your very informed call. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you on WABC. We're coming back. Cheryl Chumley will join us after the break. You don't want to miss this. Don't go away. politics and so much more a true connection to real new york on 77 wabc this is basia from her first album from the debut album time and tide Promises on WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden with you here. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. is contagious. We are part of a chain. Cheryl Chumley, Washington Times, is with us. Cheryl, welcome. Good to have you on the program again. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, James, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Cheryl, you wrote an opinion piece that immediately grabbed my attention, and I said I have to have you discuss this with the audience here. The headline, the title, WEF pushes global treaty for vaccine passports, never-ending shots. What is this about? This is about the World Economic Forum's and World Health Organization's uh, push that we're going to see more of in February because they're meeting again to discuss this. Push for a global treaty to speed up the vaccine development process. In America, for instance, it takes up to 10 years to get a shot from creation to market because of all the 
testing processes it has to go through. And under COVID, we saw that sped up massively, right? And now we're seeing the fallout from the safety of some of these shots. But the World Health Organization wants to make permanent this speedy development process in America, around the world. And they also, at the same time, want to uh, develop this treaty that will also uh, make vaccine certificates, which is to say vaccine passports, a permanent fixture in countries as well. Now, this sped up process, some would argue that we are seeing the results, some of the results of this sped up process in things like a new symptom that is occurring around the world called suddenly died among especially young people (laughs) in the prime of their health who just suddenly died. And no explanation why they were just playing football, playing soccer, swimming, or doing whatever, and they just suddenly died. And um, I'm not laughing at it, but it's just amazing to me that this is a phenomenon that is real and yet not one single government of in the western world anyway seems to be willing to investigate the causes of suddenly died and then also you have healthcare professionals telling us that there were incidents of heart um, infractions, myocardiosis, I think I'm pronouncing it right, um, and other aspects that did not occur prior to these widespread vaccinations. I am not saying that they are causation. I'm saying it deserves to be looked at. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it absolutely deserves to be looked at. And look, uh, you're, you're apt labeling suddenly died syndrome. We actually had warnings when the shots were first rolled out. If you remember seeing videos of people standing at podiums and getting the shots and then suddenly they would faint or fall to the ground. And so to me, that seems a little bit of a a red flag. Maybe we might not want to push these shots until there's a little more time to investigate them. But you're right. It's, It's absolutely astonishing with the data that we're getting now and with the opening of sites like Twitter. So scientists who have critical questions about the shots, the efficacy and the safety and so forth are allowed to bring forth their uh, countering viewpoints. It's astonishing to me in America that we have an administration that continues to push these shots, these boosters into children as young as six months old. It's like this maniac parrot narrative that just, it doesn't stop. The death rate from COVID for children in the age group you talk about was zero point something, something. I don't have it in front of me. Zero point something, something. Yet with a death rate of zero point something, something, the government is pushing for kids to be inoculated with these vaccines. What could possibly be the reasoning behind that? Well, money, right? Money. And, uh, you know, I, I've been writing about this for a very long time since uh, Donald Trump was president. And he was actually the one who rolled out the shots. And I love Donald Trump. And I hope he wins uh, another 
four years. But at the same time, he was the one that oversaw the rollout of these shots. And he did not mandate them. He did not go so far as to mandate. And that's where the danger comes from. When you take individuals and you tell them that they have to get an experimental shot and be pretend, uh, be treated like lab rats or guinea pigs, and then even deny that that's what's occurring, even though in America, like I said, the CDC itself puts out on its own website that it takes up to 10 years to get shots fully tested for safety. That is just, it, it's, it's astonishing to me that the authoritarians in charge have been allowed to push this for so long. And the reason is, if you start tracking the money, if you start tracking who's involved, it comes down to money, power, and influence. Once authoritarians have a taste of power, they do not want to let it go. And you only need to look around now and see the many people wearing face masks out on public streets by themselves or in cars by themselves to see that the fear is still very real for many in this country. You write the big pharma. Uh, you write that big pharma found a friend in government and fear. They managed to push its largely untested COVID shots and boosters on a world population. All the while claiming that shots and boosters were both effective and safe. All the while gaslighting how the claims of efficacy went for upwards of ninety-five percent to downwards of forty percent as time went by all the while ignoring and dismissing and denying the adverse health impacts that were piling up and pouring in post-shot, post-booster. Now, I know Ron Johnson, um, Senator Johnson, and Senator Paul, and others in the House are trying to actually get to the bottom of what we are facing with this, with hearings. What do you expect from the Congress, Cheryl? Well, I do expect on on the House side, for instance, uh, Senator Ron Johnson has been fantastic. Senator Rand Paul has been fantastic, especially about pushing back on the liar, liar, uh, pants on fire, Anthony Fauci. Uh, but in, in the House now, we have some Republican leadership in some important committees. The Energy and Commerce Committee is now headed by a Republican, uh, a woman who promised a year ago that if Republicans took back the House and she was chair of this committee, that she would start investigating the safety of the shots, the links between big pharma and politicians and, and governments of the world, the, the uh, actual truthful data when it comes time to analyzing the, the safety and health impacts from these shots. And so I, I expect that some information is going to come forward. But here's the danger, James. Congress works like molasses, right? And when the media is still on the side of the push the vaccines all the time, 24 hours a day to, to children at birth all the way up through uh, elderly people, it's very difficult to wind back the fear that's still present with this whole coronavirus matter. That's why I think it's going to depend on a strong media to yeah. uh, to actually start. You know, I read an article. <laughs> I read an article. I don't know whether you've had time to read it because it's into. It was in yesterday's L.A. Times, and believe it or not, this article was supposed to be about. I meant to get to it today about uh, what's happening in Orange County with the school superintendent there setting the stage for a conservative agenda. And quickly, this thing devolves from school board policy into this. They fired, um, 
so they narrowly won. The conservatives narrowly won uh, the school board race, an orange unified school board. Okay, they fired a principal, they fired a superintendent. The board's new conservative majority has not stated a reason for the move, which was opposed by many parents and teachers, but it appears to be an opening salvo in an effort to bring what is taught in the district's classrooms into line with conservative views. Blah, 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 blah. Later, it devolves into an attack on frontline doctors and who are spreading, who are known to spread disinformation. We have right now an entire portion of the medical community that is afraid for their careers. They are afraid to speak up because they will be terminated. Their careers will be gone and shot to hell if many of them are vocal about what they're seeing. We also have a number of them who have courageously, these frontline doctors, and Cheryl, one of them saved my life when I had COVID, frontline doctors who courageously are treating people with great science, but they're going against the typical wisdom, the frontline doctors and nurses. What can be done to help? I know this is not part of your, but what can be done to help the voices of people that need to be heard on this crucial issue? Right now, as you're saying, now it's gone from, okay, we had the pandemic, it's over to, oh, it's not over, and it's never going to be over. They're going to be never-ending shots, never-ending vaccines, and we're going to actually push for a treaty. What can be done to fight against these people? Well, it's it's interesting you ask that because on the medical field, I just had some personal experiences the last two to three weeks with hospitals here um, involving my, my husband's admission there and trying to push back against the insanity um, that is still very much part and parcel of the medical community with the face masks and the social distancing and the very non-scientific, ridiculous uh, deceptions that we all played along with in America for far too long. And so to answer your question, I understand that people can lose jobs. I understand that it's difficult to stand up, but that's not good enough. We are at a point right now that the media, the media that cares about America, need to be covering what's taking place with the coronavirus and the pandemic policies coming out of the global organizations 24-7, because that is the threat that is not going away. We have to have doctors who know better, given the platform to stand up and tell their stories and tell and, and push back on the non-science and the deceptive science and so forth. We also need parents to continue to press for their parental rights in the school systems and not allow the bureaucrats that have just really assaulted and abused and exploited children for going on three years now, still three years in this country, there are school systems that are slapping face masks on kids as they go back to school. We need parents to push back on these school boards. We just need individuals, James, this is what it comes down to, to recapture the love of individual liberty in America because we've lost that. Somewhere along the road in the last couple of decades, we've become enamored with our money, our wealth, our 401ks, our, our you know, everything that is exceptional about America in terms of the material goods. But we've forgotten the spirit. 
that drives America, the spirit of individualism, where our rights come from God and government's only there to preserve and protect those rights. And once we get that back, then everything else falls back into place. Cheryl, thank you so much. Washington Times, where can people find you? Also author of the book Lockdown, which is a very important book. Cheryl, where can people find you? At Washington Times, at Twitter, at C.K. Chumley, or at CherylChumley.com. Thank you, James. Thank you. Cheryl Chumley, and we're going to have you back as often as possible, Cheryl. Thank you so much. James Golden, A.K. Stern, we got to take a break. Coming back, your phone calls will take us home. WABC, don't go away. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, A.K.A. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 Alabama 3 You know the You know the song from the Sopranos. All right, let's get to the telephones. Let's go to, let us see, Ralph in New Rochelle. You've been waiting so long. Thank you for waiting, Ralph. How are you? I'm doing well, Mr. Golden. I just wondered, at what point did we become so racially divided? I grew up in the 60s and 70s, the civil rights movement, and everyone was trying to even a feel for everybody and make everything right. And where did it all go wrong? At what point did it go wrong? Hmm. 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 When the Democrats decided that the only way they could win elections was by calling the race card, even though they were the party of Jim Crow and racism in America, that's where it all started going wrong. And that was sometime in the late 60s, early 70s. It began on this current track, Ralph. That's where it started going wrong. Sandy in New Jersey. Thank you for waiting, Ralph. Sandy in New Jersey. How are you? Fine. Uh, fine, Bo. Two quick comments. One is uh, there's a gentleman that called you frequently, and today he called, I guess it was early part of the 8 o'clock hour, with a Spanish accent. It's Lionel. Lionel is the gentleman that used to work at WABC. If that's Lionel, that is my buddy Lionel. I love Lionel. And he, um, you know, I love Lionel. I absolutely love him. He and I worked together for many, many years, and I absolutely adore and love. Now, Lionel and I have our disagreements on political, so what? So does everybody. But as a human being, let me tell you something. Lionel is one of the finest human beings on the planet. He's such a great guy. So if that's Lionel, thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Sandy. What's the other thing? Oh, the other thing was about the women cooking. It just gets my goat. I married 54 years, and I, I understand this generation. It's very difficult because 90% of the women have to work. But the men never get credit for anything. 
And I'm, what I'm going to say next is tongue-in-cheek. Now, in our day, having a baby, the men should do their part and have the baby. So the woman doesn't have to get stretch marks. <laughs> well, let me tell you, in certain quarters, that's what they think they're doing. I just saw another one of some, well, he is a transgendered man. But during the transition, he had a fling and, quote, unquote, got pregnant. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, thank you so much, Sandy. Gail in Staten Island, how are you? Uh, good morning. Listen, you have so many great people on and so many callers, but I have a couple of points. Earlier, you were talking about relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a relationship, I think each person should give 100%. When one person falters in a life situation, health, uh, the other is there to take over. Love, laugh, cry. Enjoy every minute because life is fleeting. And as far as music, uh, you have to hear the great Beth Hart being accompanied on the guitar by Joe Bonamasso, who opened when he was 12 years old for B.B. King. And as far as Davos and the W.E.F., they had Sting singing there, I heard, at the cash cow. At the cash cow. They should have had the great Shirley Bassey. Bassey singing Goldfinger from James Bond. That's how it should have ended. Microsoft sponsored the Sting concert, and the next day they fired a bunch of people. So they paid Sting, brought him to Davos, had a private performance, and then the next day they fired a bunch of their workers. Now, you said we should have listened to Beth, and I didn't get her last name. Tell me her last name one more time. Beth Hart. Okay. And she is playing with the great Joe Bonamassa. He plays the guitar, and he opened for B.B. King when he was 12 years old. You really have to look him up, but that song is just too much. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Diego, he'll know it. Okay. Diego knows more than I do, so about about music. All right, Diego, thank you. Thank you, Gail. Appreciate it. Let's go to Lon in Norwalk, Connecticut. How are you? Hi, good to talk to you. I wanted to talk about that Memphis debacle. Yes. I don't know if this came to anybody else's thoughts, but remember there was a Dirty Harry movie with Clint Eastwood where there was a small group of San Francisco cops and they that went rogue and they were killing yeah, and they were killing people randomly. Yes. Well, that's what this reminds me of. This They call it a scorpion squad in Memphis, right? Where they go out and they do their own justice. Man, oh, man. Oh, we can only hope. Okay, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate the call. We can only hope it's not that. Tim in San Diego. Welcome. How are you, Tim? James, I would just say if that woman doesn't want anybody to get her goat, she shouldn't let him know where it's tied up. But uh, that's not what the point I, uh, <laughs> I, I want to make. I stole that one. But but anyway, uh, yeah, Joe Bonamassa, I can't believe you haven't heard of Joe Bonamassa. That's also not my topic. My topic is uh, officer safety. You will notice that the common refrain now, and probably for the last decade or so, and I'm gonna, just let me preface this, Bo. You and I have spoken over the years probably 20 times. But I've called Rush over 20 times, okay? Uh, so you and I have talked a lot and a lot and a lot. 
just very briefly in a fleeting way. Uh, but so I'm a conservative, got my, my, my Limbaugh bona fides, but um, officer safety has become paramount. Um, and it's used in this, as an excuse for many, many things. And this over-militarized look that police officers have now uh, is just the problem. And the problem is, you know, you hear him say, I just want to go home at night. I want to go home. I appreciate that. But you can't step over all over people's rights. And, uh, you know, the beatdown thing, that might have happened in the past, but it ain't anything like it is now, Bo, and you know that. It's a bad situation out there. And people are afraid. I mean, I'm afraid of the sheriffs in uh, in San Diego County here. They're they're. Oh, look, California is a police state. I said that for California. I've never seen anything. When I go to California, I can't wait to get the hell out of California. It's a police state. It's a wacko environmentalist state where you can't have a plastic bag, can't have a straw, can't do this, can't do that. I don't know why people stay in California, to be totally honest with you. I visit California, and I do know why. The weather, the scenery, the, some of the things. But every time I'm in California, I can't wait to get on a plane and come back home to freedom. But you, you made some great points, Tim. Great points. And I look forward to our next conversation. And believe it or not, yes, as extensive as my knowledge is of music, I learn new things every day about music. It's just one of the joys of life. No matter how much you know, you've missed somebody no matter how much you know, when my, my musical history uh, interest goes back to the 1800s up to present, and I'm still learning, and that's one of the joys of life, the continued learning from people. And we're all, there's so much out here in the world, and there's so much to learn and so much to enjoy. And that's why I enjoy you in this audience to help teach me new things and hear new perspectives every week and every day, and thank you for that my beautiful, wonderful audience. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you. It's been a delight. It's been a joy. And I look forward to it next Saturday on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Larry Kudnow up, uh, is up next. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your families. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you for both Nervous Rush Hour. Thanks, crew. I have the best radio crew in the entire world. See you Monday at 4. Bye.